horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. All right, and welcome to another edition of Winning Ponies. Hope to put you on a bunch of winners, catch up on all the news of the week, and I've got you two fantastic guests. Uh, first will be one of the top handicappers in the country and the author of Betting on Horse Racing for Dummies, and that is Rich Eng. Rich has been on a few times, always entertaining and a lot of insight, and uh, we're basically just going to be talking uh, Derby and Oaks. It's hard to believe that we're less than two weeks away. How time has flown. And then our second guest is going to be Tom Quigley. Uh, he's the uh, head of Horse Player Magazine. Many of you might subscribe to that. Uh, we're going to break down uh, four races in the handicapping uh, portion of the program. Of course, uh, Tom is uh, known out on the West Coast as having his own place at Santa Anita called Quigley's Corner, where you can find him every morning. So he's got a good line on the California horses. So it's opening day and opening weekend at Hollywood Park, and we thought we'd look at the quarter-million-dollar Malaire for the Phillies and then the $300,000 Snow Chief going a mile and an eighth for the boys. Uh, then uh, hopefully we're going to get to the Derby trial, last swing for people trying to get into the run for the Roses, and uh, some good handicapping horses and a lot of question marks in the Westchester Grade 3 mile race at Belmont Park. So uh, that's the lineup as far as our guests are concerned. Well, the biggest breaking news, and I guess you could say part of history of racing, is the fact that the major sire, Stormcat, died. Stormcat was 30 years old. Uh, he was put down from signs of old age at Overbrook Farm in Lexington, Kentucky. Of course, uh, he was out of the great uh, race mayor, uh, Terlingua. Uh, he was owned and raced by William T. Young. Uh, he had a brief career, but it showed a lot of brilliance. Uh, he captured the Young American Stakes, which was a grade one, and finished second in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. He ended up winning over a half a million. Didn't get to race a lot, but boy, it was smart keeping him as a stud. And uh, he retired from racing in 1987 and just had an amazing uh, impact on the breed. His earners have won over $127 million. Stormcat sired eight champions, 108 graded stakes winners, including winners of the Preakness, the Belmont, the Kentucky Oaks, and five Breeders' Cup races, uh, numerous European uh, Group 1 races. Uh, he tapped the general sire list twice, the juvenile sire list, a record seven times. They said that he got kind of hot-headed horses, but let me tell you, they could run. He was retired in 2000. And eight, and let me tell you, when you saw one go through the sales ring, they brought t plenty of bidding. Ninety-one of his yearlings brought a million dollars or more, whereas the great Northern Dancer brought fifty-two that brought a million or more. So uh, racing uh, uh, mourns the passing of Stormcat. Uh, he was a once-in-a-lifetime horse, and certainly uh, put Overbrook Farm on the map. Uh, we did. Uh, 
lose a couple horses from the Kentucky Derby. Uh, Den's Legacy uh, and Super 99 are going to take uh, different directions on their three-year-old past. Uh, they're not out because of uh, injury or anything. Um, uh, Baffert Connected Horses, also uh, Baffert said that uh, Fifty Shades of Hay won't be running in the Oaks, but she may go in the Eight Bells or the Black-Eyed Susan. Well, T.J. Kelly, Hall of Fame trainer, has passed away at the age of 93. Uh, of course, the uh, top sire himself, one of the foremost racing families in the United States, he did uh, pass away um, when he was uh, 93. Um, he groomed or walked hots. Uh, he was connected to the one-time trainer of Man of War. Um, and he brought up horses like himself, like uh, uh, Plug Nickel, who won the Vosburg and won the Eclipse Award as the champion sprinter. So uh, T.J. Kelly, gone but not forgotten. Uh, updated news now on John Velasquez. It looks like he's going to resume riding on Wednesday. He said everything's on schedule, but it looks like he's going to kind of uh, take it easy. He says he's doing really good, but that he's going to take it slow in his return, just as he did last summer at Saratoga when he came back from a seven-week layoff following a fractured collarbone uh, that he uh, injured in June. So he plans to ride one horse on Wednesday at Belmont, two horses Thursday at Belmont, and then he's going to ship his tack over to Louisville. He hopes to ride three Friday at Churchill, including probably the favorite in the Kentucky Oaks uh Dreaming of Julia, and he's set for four mounts on Derby Day. And he says he's being realistic. Uh, he, he's going to give 100% to every horse he's riding. Um, and that's why he's not starting out trying to ride three horses a day and, and find out that maybe he's hurt himself by the time he gets to the big races. So good news that uh, Johnny V will be back in the saddle soon. Not so good news for Prentice Yomar Ortiz. He was uh, injured at Pimlico. Uh, Ortiz uh, led the rider standings after three weeks in the spring meeting with 13 wins. And of course, he captured the Laurel Park winter meet earlier this year. Uh, let's hope that he's uh, back in the saddle as soon as he can. And then uh, we got news from out west that Emerald Downs jockey Galen Mitchell uh, had suffered a heart attack. Uh, might not be known nationwide, but uh, Mitchell has uh, ridden over 1,300 winners at Emerald Downs. Uh, he's the only jockey to ride all 18 seasons at the track, so uh, hopefully he'll be coming back. Uh, he's been riding since 1980. Uh, speaking of jockeys, the Jockey Guild uh, reached a marketing agreement with Express Bet, and it looks like there's going to have some uh, exclusivity with Express Bet. Uh, they've already signed with several riders. Uh, they're going to work together to promote jockeys. Uh, they're going to reward their loyal customers by facilitating meet and greets with the riders, opportunities to win autograph memorabilia, and kind of fan fest style of events. And how about trying to keep up with Joel Rosario at Keeneland? It's been unbelievable. Uh, of course, uh, Julian Leperu has long time dominated that, but it seems like uh, I, I keep getting information to put on winning ponies every week, and, and now it's been a day-to-day -day thing. I had two updates today. Uh, he broke the spring record for wins today after booting home his third winner of the day in the sixth race for his 33rd win. And then uh, before that uh, 
press release was even finished, we get one that says that he ended up riding five winners, including the long shot in the Bewitch Stakes. People overlooked him at 18-1, to 1, uh, winning the $150,000 uh, uh, Bewitched. And uh, so he broke the spring record of 32 victories. That was set by Randy Romero in 1990. Of course, most of his mounts have been for trainer Mike Maker. Uh, he won three races and increased his spring meet to, to total 22, and that equals D. Wayne Lucas for the all-time record by trainer during a Keeneland meet. Uh, Maker's victories were with horses owned and trained by Ken and Sarah Ramsey, and they're also setting records themselves uh, 22 wins this meet. you got to remember, this is only a 16-day meet. So uh, Keeneland will uh, will wrap up its action uh, uh, at the end of this week, and then Churchill Downs will start their action back up. And that's going to start on Saturday, but it's going to start Saturday evening. So it's going to be an evening program, uh, opening night. Of course, uh, they will have the, uh, the Derby trial, and... Uh, you can uh, have all kinds of fun. I mean, last year when they did this program, uh, it, it lured 38,000-plus fans, which was the largest crowd for a Churchill Downs racing program other than a, a Derby Oaks or Breeders' Cup. Uh, they're saying there's a chance of some light rain, but they're going to have the plaza open. Uh, they're going to have red carpet entrance. Uh, they're going to have all kinds of crazy stuff. Acrobats, uh, the rubber boy, the Guinness World Record for the most flexible man, uh, you name it. But, of course, for, for listeners to this show, the Derby trial will be the uh, the key thing that everybody is going to uh, going to want to uh, be tuned into. Um, a good friend of ours, Eric Wing, uh, who has been on the show many times, uh, representing the NTRA, it looks like now he's going to be uh, with the NYRA, and he has set up there with, with Naira as the, uh, the the top guy over there, as we call Dan Silver, uh, had, had taken over uh, to go to uh, Park. So um, we're looking at... Uh, Congratulating Eric Wing. He always did a sensational job with the NTRA, and I'm sure he'll do a great job uh, with with Naira. Uh, just so much to talk about this week, and so many people to talk about. Uh, the Canadian Horse of the Year, they call it the Sovereign Awards. It was uncaptured. It was six for seven last year, and uh, he did some uh, running in the United States. Uh, he won two graded stakes races at Churchill Downs. Uh, owned by John Oxley and trained by Mark Cassie, um, just uh, just did a sensational job. Uh, he won the uh, Grade Two Kentucky Jockey Club Stakes and the Iroquois. So uh, he kind of the uh, top Canadian horse got there by doing it in the U.S. Of course, the top two-year-old filly, Spring in the Air, was a graded stakes winner at Keeneland. So. Uh, some good news out of Canada. Also, good news out of the breeding shed. Uh, there was a full brother to Zenyatta fold at Coolmore's Ashford Stud near Versailles, Kentucky. Uh, of course, uh, Street Cry was the sire of Zenyatta, and it looks like uh, there's going to be another one on the track in a, in a couple of years. Of course, Zenyatta has been in the news. Uh, she delivered her first fold last year, which was a Bernardini colt. Uh, it's now been named Cosmic with a Z, and uh, recently she had her second foal, 
which was a tappet colt. Uh, some not-so-good news in, in the breeding world. Uh, Colonial Affair, the 1993 Belmont winner, uh, he died in Argentina. Of course, you may recall he launched uh, Julie Crone into the history book as being the first female to win a Triple Crown race when he won the Belmont Stakes. And then uh, Captain Steve, you might remember him. He was a Baffert trainee that won the Dubai World Cup. Uh, he passed away at the age of 16. He was standing in Japan as a stallion. Uh, he came back, of course, uh, to the U.S. and won the grade one Don. And uh, the Dubai World Cup was his last victory, retired with earnings of $6.8 million. Okay, well, let's take a look at uh, last week's races. And uh, a race that was a lot closer than people thought it was going to be was the Charlestown Classic. From what I understand, they say it might have been a, a little little slippery out there. But nonetheless, Game on Due with Mike Smith in the saddle did not set the pace. It was set by a 38-to-1 outsider from Aqueduct, uh, that Pletcher sent in by the name of Percussion, but uh, Game On Dude, who was second down uh, the uh, the backstretch, uh, did make a move on the turn and came up recording his fourth win in a row. Uh, obviously, it was odds on. Uh, second, who's made a habit of being a second behind Game On Dude, it was Clubhouse Ride. And up for the third spot was Ron the Greek, probably the most predictable trifecta in North America last year. All right, well, uh, kudos to uh, another uh, Winning Ponies regular, B.J. Brian Hernandez. Uh, departing one, what so many people are uh, saying was the Preakness Prep. It was the Hawthorne Derby, the one big race that was snubbed in the point system by uh, Churchill Downs and the Kentucky Derby. Uh, still did not scare away a full field. Of course, 750,000 won't. Uh, departing uh, was uh, four wide, rated very well, and then just blew by him one by three and a half, a beautifully rated ride. First time on Lasix, as we said. The only race he lost was the Louisiana Derby. So on light Lasix, and it looks like uh, departing is going to be a factor and is probably going to be headed to Pimlico. 24 to 1 outshired for Dubai, ran second. And in the third spot was Siet de Ores, who had been facing some very tough competition. Okay, well, another horse looked like may have punched his ticket to the Derby because of some defections. Another one for Pletcher. He could have as many as six horses in the Derby. And this was winning cause Julian Le Peru in the saddle. Of course, he's going to ride Java's war in the Kentucky Derby. Second was outsider general election off at 35 to 1, rallied from 10th. And third was the two pick of the litter. And the final race that we handicapped from Keeneland was the double dog dare. And the winner was Ice Cream Silence, wire to wire, Rosie Napravnik in the saddle for George Rusty Arnold. In the second spot was a nice finish by Sisterhood, who rallied for West Ward. And third, the inside horse, Artemis Kitten, Gary Stevens, was in the saddle. All right, well, that's what happened in racing last week, the headlines and the race results. Looking forward to kind of a great overview by a good friend and an excellent handicapper, Rich Ng. He's going to be up next. You're listening to Winning Ponies.
flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter, formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams. Kwame's got the experience, so he's prepared to talk sports with you. Every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. Get ready for unpredictable fun and sometimes a sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. The opening kickoff is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. That goes O'Neal. He's at the shot. Got it. With 2.8 seconds left to left. I don't care where they put him. This one is out of here. From high school to the pros, we we cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right. Well, thanks for being back with me, but a very good thanks to my good friend, Rich Eng. Uh, we were hoping to have Doug O'Neill on the show, and uh, Doug uh, contacted me earlier in the day and said he totally forgot that he was supposed to do something at his son's school. He apologized, so I said, well, who's the second best person in America I could have on? And of course, I reached out to the columnist handicapper for the Las Vegas Review-Journal, Rich Ng, also the author of Betting on Horse Racing for Dummies. Rich, how we doing out there in Vegas? Hey, we're doing real good. And, uh, you know, I know Doug O'Neill from uh, my days out at Santa Anita, and uh, I'm sure uh, he uh, feels bad about it. But, you know what, John, if he wins the Kentucky Derby with Golden Fence, I think uh, he owes you one. So maybe you can get him right back on, you know. (laughs) I like that. I like that. No, he did did apologize, and he sounded guilty, and – you know, just one of those things. It's you got to face it, man. Family comes first. You know, even even though winning ponies should. But um, <laughs> you've always been so gracious in saying, "Hey, thanks a lot for having me on. Love to be back." So anybody that says that to me gets to come back. Oh, that's great. That's great. You know, there, there's never any shortage of subjects to talk about with horse racing, and here we are. Uh, you know, eight days out, nine days out from the Kentucky Derby and the Kentucky Oaks, and <laughs> it's a lot of fun. You're you're a lot closer to Louisville than I am, but. The, the energy level is real high out here too in Las Vegas. Well, you know we got we got some interesting storylines, and you've got to like that as a journalist. And and, and I'll throw a couple out there. I guess the very first, since we're on the subject of Doug O'Neill, is you know some guys never make it to the Kentucky Derby, and now this guy in back to back years is making it with. A, Two horses that that look like they're boilerplate. I mean, the comparisons to I'll have another are, are unbelievable. Not only in the races they've won, but kind of in their style and in their demeanor. 
Yeah, this is a pretty nice horse. Uh, you know, they only paid sixty-two thousand for him, John. So, so he's a he's in, in this league in this tier. He's like a bargain basement horse. And then you look at the jockey Kevin Krieger, and you know that's another thing too about uh, Doug O'Neill. He's not married to using all the the name jockeys in Southern California. And yeah, uh, you know he gave Mario Gutierrez a shot, and uh, uh, you know Mario didn't let him down, and it was Kevin Krieger a shot, and. You know, there was a really a, a, a moment when uh, Kevin Krieger probably was sitting on edge because after they lost to San Felipe, I guarantee you, Doug O'Neill's cell phone was being lit up by a jockey agent. Saying, <laughs> well, I'll ride him in the Santa Anita Derby, but he stayed loyal, and that's I think that's a real positive. He's a, he's a good guy for staying loyal to his rider. Yeah, it's a great storyline. And another one that is kind of overlooked is, you know, it's been since, I believe, 1902 when Jimmy Winkfield won the Kentucky Derby on Allen Adele since a black jockey has won the Kentucky Derby. As a matter of fact, he was put up by an Irish trainer. So Doug O'Neill's trying to say, hey, I'd be happy to make that part of history happen all over again. You know, that's an interesting uh Sidebar in history of the the sport, John. But uh, you know, back then, you know, and before then, the, most of the jockeys were black. In in reality, I mean, there were a lot of great uh, black jockeys, but then uh, they kind of got phased out. But uh, yeah, you know, Kevin Krieger's a nice kid, and you know, he rode it. Uh, I think he rode a lot of winners at Thistledown. So yeah, you know, there's people back there listening who who remember him and know of him. So it would be fun if he came back and uh, won the race of his life. Well, uh, and another just while we're still just talking about uh, golden senses, you got the Rick Patino angle. I mean, everything he's been touching lately turns to gold. Yeah, that was quite a run where uh, you know he wins the national championship with the Louisville Cardinals, and then he wins the Santa Anita Derby. Uh, is it the same? Well, it was the same weekend, right? That's yeah, so, and then he got uh, inducted yeah. to the Hall of Fame, and his son got the job at Minnesota. Yep. Yeah, that's uh, that's when you're hot, you're hot. So. Uh, Patino and the entourage will be there, and uh, you know Rick's put a lot of money. He's put a lot of energy into the game, and you know when you got a high-profile celebrity like that owning uh, horses, it can only be good for the game. You know people like him and Joe Torre when the, he was in the Wonder Circle for Game on Dude, and there's a lot of others. This is this is good stuff for the sport. And knock on wood, we you know if Golden Sense wins, it wouldn't be the worst thing to happen for us. All right, well, an, another angle for you as a writer has got to be the resurgence of Gary Stevens and how it's almost like he hasn't missed a step. You know, that, that, that's a really good point because I remember uh, being asked about my thoughts about Gary Stevens' return. And, you know, I was working in the New York Racing Association when a Hall of Fame writer named Manny Yakaza made a comeback, and he rode for a short period of time, and he kind of had a, a spurt of success. But... Uh, he had a, a real bad knee, and uh, he had to give up his comeback. And, you know, Gary Stevens, when he retired, the uh, knee problem was one of his issues. But uh, he looks great. I mean, it's it's really amazing how how good he looks in the saddle for being away for such a long time. So, uh, you know, kudos to Gary, and, uh, you know, I hope he, I wish him continued success. Yeah, we we had him on the week he made his comeback, and you know he just said, "Look," he says, I, "I I don't even take you know an aspirin." He said before when I had to ride, I had to take things, you know, that would you know uh, affect you, you know the, my my knee from blowing up. And he says, right now, he says, "I'm I'm totally you know 
drug-free, meaning, you know, drugs that might just help his muscular condition. And, you know, he's got a nutritionist, a sports psychologist, a personal trainer, and he said, I would not have gone back into this thing unless I thought I was 100%. So that would be pretty neat. And at the same time, it would be pretty neat to see a guy that a lot of people had written off, and uh, D. Wayne Lucas, uh, uh, he's riding Gary on Oxbow. So you've got more storylines there. Yeah, that's that's really good. You know, and it, it shows uh, folks who may not follow you know horse racing that closely and maybe don't have a measure on how important the jockey is. I, I really think that the the physical attributes aren't as important as the mental attributes. Uh, you know, if you got a good head on your shoulders, you don't have to be the strongest person out there riding the horse. You know, sometimes it comes into play, but if you're cerebral and you have good hands and uh, sense of timing and pace, I mean, Gary Stevens has it all and. Uh, Great to see him come back after seven years. He hasn't lost his touch. Nope, and that segues me right into my next storyline with John Velasquez and him getting the injury two weeks ago, definitely having to take time off. And I read earlier in the show they put out a release today that they're going to take baby steps because it's going to be one start one day, two starts next day, and then three starts. uh, Mm -hmm. You know, he's coming along. Uh, Again, I think what you just stated about it's as much cerebral as it is physical, but still, coming back from a rib injury, Johnny V's going to have to take it awful easy. Yeah, you know, for anyone who suffered a broken rib or a rib injury, uh, you know, the old line is, it only hurts when I breathe. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so and then Johnny would be riding a racehorse 40 miles an hour, so knock on wood, I'm sure he won't get back up unless you know, he feels good about his physical condition. But, you know, another scenario, too, with John, and it happens to all great riders who ride in the, the triple crown races. And uh, a lot of times, you, you know, you ride more than one good horse, but you've got to make a decision when the fork in the road comes. And the horse he had to give up was Orb. And, you know, Joel Rosario's the, the recipient of that large yes. And uh, who knows, you know, we'll find out in, the, in a week if uh, John made the right decision or not on the choice of mounts. Well, his mount, of course, was Verrazano, who uh, has pretty much consistently been the pre-race favorite. But I'll tell you what, with some of the preps that I've seen, Rich, uh, I think there's some now horses uh, that, that can jump up and win on the first Saturday in May. I know who mine are. I want to hear who yours are. Well, I'll start with this, John, and, uh, you know, full disclosure, uh, we have, you know, future book bets out here. We're not married to the, the Kentucky Derby uh, Churchill Downs, a uh, future wager. So, uh, you know, the books open up early. And I, I bought a half a dozen horses uh, in the in the, the middle of winter, you know, horses that didn't look so good, you know, maybe at one point or, or you got to try to project. And I got one of them to the race out of the six. I, I got Normandy Invasion to the race. Love them. So I, I do have them at 50 to 1, and I'm kind of rooting for them, in the, you know, throughout because it'll be a nice – won't be a life changer, but it'd be a nice score. It would make Sandy happy if the if the horse comes in. But, oh yeah, uh, I'm you know, sure it will. Well, I'll tell you what. From everything I'm reading from the observers down at Churchill, they're saying he's really taken to the track and he looks good. And you know, he's a horse that's only won one race, but I'll tell you what, he really does look like a now horse, and he's on my list. Yeah, you know, and that, that's a, you know, he came out of the Wood Memorial. He was making a late run at Verrazano. I think the thing that sticks in my mind was, you know, Javier Castellano knew going in with Chad Brown that they either had to win or run second to make sure they had enough points. And uh, you know, at the time, it, it looked like he needed at least thirty or forty points, and 
he rode the hair off his horse to, to get by Vijack for the second position and uh, got himself a safe spot in the, the derby field. And that was some of the uh, horses dropping by the wayside. I guess I guess 20 points is going to get you in if you want to go. Well, um, I'll, I'll give you the other horse that that that's that really has impressed me, and I think it's because of the trainer as much as anybody else, is Suge McGahee bringing Orb. I mean, I don't think he's had a horse in the Derby since Easy Goer. Yeah, I, I don't have uh, Suge's resume in front of me, but I do know uh, he's never won the race. I think he's had about a half a dozen starters, but he, he's one of those old-school trainers. He doesn't go to the Derby just to get seats. He goes only when he thinks he's got a shot, and when he has a horse kind of drags him there, so... Uh, you know, this horse has done a lot of good things. Uh, I mentioned Joel Rosario, who is riding unbelievable form at uh, Keeneland this meet, just breaking records left and right. So uh, interesting combination there for, for Shug and Orb. And, uh, you know, it, there, there's so many horses that are coming to the race in great, great condition with great resumes that uh, it's going to be tough to handicap. It's going to be great. There's a lot of storylines, and, and you, Riching, I know, are a guy that is going to be able to uh, to weave those into your stories in the Las Vegas Review and Journal. Thanks for spending some time with us, and I hope that our uh, paths cross shortly. Yeah, and if I could leave with a, a, a plug to some of your listeners who might be in the Las Vegas area, I'll be doing a handicapping seminar for the Derby Friday night at 6 p.m. at Sunset Station in Henderson, and if any folks are in the area, I'd love to. I'd love to have you come out and meet you. And uh, we'll be talking uh, the Derby for about ninety minutes. Trust me, folks. Riching is the kind of guy you want to meet. He's very personable, has great insight, and I do hope that they take you up on that, Rich. Thanks a lot for being with us on Winning Ponies. Hey, thanks, John. Look forward to the next time. Bye bye. All right. That was Rich Ng, and coming up, another great guy in the sport of racing. We are going to talk to Tom Quigley. You're listening to Winning Ponies. I'm Dr. Sam Nussbaum with WellPoint. We proudly support the March of Dimes work in reducing premature birth. Almost half a million babies are born too soon in the United States. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting-edge research and life-saving programs. These programs, such as Centering Pregnancy, help moms in our communities have full-term pregnancy. This Is It Sports is an engaging talk program that includes you, the experts, and sports, all moderated by Coach Carl Hargrave. We'll talk about what's going on in the general sports world, collegiate and professional, take a look at youth-oriented sports, athletic development and sportsmanship, faith, and where it has its place in sports, along with a lively discussion with Coach Carl every week. Tune in to This Is It Sports with Coach Carl Hargrave every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. If 
All right, and with me now, a gentleman I've been wanting to get on for a long time, and I'm glad I was able to make the connection. I actually made the connection through Twitter. I, I've been uh, hunting out his, uh, his email address. Uh, his name is uh, Tom Quigley. I met him years ago um, out at the uh, University of Arizona Symposium, and uh, he's just an extremely uh, personable and intelligent uh, individual, and he kind of got in there uh, with uh, creating Horse Player Magazine, which if you don't have it, you should get it. It is slick. He's got a great team of writers, and it comes out with very fast information. He turns around really quick uh, before the big races. And uh, Tom has uh, parlayed his uh, uh, attendance uh, at the morning races to a place that they actually – they've named a spot at a racetrack after him, which is Quigley's Corner. Now, I must say he is not totally unique in that, in that uh, there's an Engelhart's Corner, but it happens to be the last bar stool at Flanagan's Pub in Dayton, Ohio. So I don't quite have, you know, the (laughs) the, (laughs) – Uh, fame uh, that uh, Quigley's Corner does, but but Tom does, and enough enough of my jabbering right now. Tom, how are you doing? John, greetings from Southern California. The sun is still up on this side of the coast, and uh, great to be with you. I'm glad you did find me on Twitter, and uh, you know I'm just a regular guy, and I just kind of have a regular corner at all three Southern California racetracks, and many consider me to be the luckiest guy in the world because I get paid to go to the racetrack every day, and for many reasons I can't argue with anybody that feels that way. Uh, ab- ab- absolutely. Uh, d- describe to me. Do, do you kind of get there around daybreak? You start watching the horses go out. Are you are you near the clockers? Uh, paint us a picture. I'm lucky if I'm actually in bed by the time the horses go out to the track in the morning, John. I'm not much of a morning person for the track. Uh, here in Southern California, it's very unique. There are a number of subscriber, excuse me, a number of clockers that you can subscribe to from a from a paying standpoint to basically be your eyes and ears out at the track, and they do a very very good job. If, if any of your listeners have never been out to the morning workouts, it can be quite chaotic and quite confusing. Really, all the horses wear is a saddle is a saddle cloth identifying what barn they're from. But other than that, it's pretty much a hodgepodge of activity. So I limit my uh, time at the races to actually when the races are being run i might show up at the track about a half hour before first post and then uh, basically stay there the entire day and my uh, whole gimmick on twitter is if you're playing the simulcast races from wherever you might live whether it's minnesota or the state of washington or anywhere around the country even around the world you can't physically be at, at the southern california racetracks but i'm there and if you have confidence in my ability to look at horses then what i do is on twitter tweet out about 10 minutes before post when the horses walk out on the track when they walk by me. I'll give you my uh, observations of who looks good and who doesn't look good on track uh, and in the paddock so that you can make a determination of uh, whether you like the horses that I've tweeted or not like the horses I've tweeted from a paper standpoint. And many people have found that that's a good combination to maybe land them on more winners. Well, now let's do a quick rewind. How did Tom Quigley get the horse racing bug? You know, I get asked that question a lot, John, and I'd like to even know your story because I've never heard it before, but I was uh, born and raised in the concrete jungle of Chicago, Illinois, never really sat on a horse until well after I went to the racetrack. The first time was when I was 13 years old. That would have been 1972 out at Arlington Park, one of the more beautiful racetracks in the country. Uh, My father's dad, excuse me, my my best friend's dad took us out to the track. Uh, I didn't know it at the time, but it sure seems like he was a closet horse player. This was well before online wagering or OTBs were open. So it looks like uh, 
you know, he worked out at O'Hare Airport, and it looks like he was sneaking off during his lunch hour to go out to Arlington Park <laughs> and get in some bets. So he told um, my best friend and I, why don't you come join me and check it all out? And, uh, you know, I just fell in love with the beauty of the sport, and that's probably why I hang out in the paddock every day is obviously we're all out there to make to make money, and, and we enjoy gambling. But, you know, my first love is just the raw beauty of the horse growing up in Chicago, not really being exposed to the animals, just the colorfulness of the sport itself on the turf course with the bright jockey silks, and just the athletic competitiveness that all the animals show is really what brought me into the game. And then, uh, obviously, I progressed and advanced, uh, you know, throughout the next 30 to 40 years to uh, where I am today. How about uh, your, your concept and development of Horse Player Magazine? That's another good question, John. Um, I actually had a magazine publishing background. Uh, my education took me to the University of Notre Dame to get a master's degree in finance, and that's when I moved out to Southern California in 1986. And when I came out here, I just happened to get lucky and uh, became the business manager for two non-horse racing publications, but certainly your listeners have heard of both of them. I was the uh, business manager for both Architectural Digest and Bon Appetit, two very well-known national magazines, and I was making all the financial decisions because I was a hotshot, newly, min newly minted MBA from the University of Notre Dame. So uh, they were privately owned at the time, both pa both publications, and so I learned a lot about magazine publishing. But like most of your listeners, I was still a weekend warrior. I would still go out to the racetrack and get my fix in. And so uh, when I started Horse Player Magazine in 1994, I just kind of merged the two things I knew best, which was my love for horse racing as well as the knowledge I gained about magazine publishing when I was working at both Bon Appetit and Architectural Digest. Well, uh, Horse Player Magazine does have that kind of slick look that both of those uh, publications uh, have compared to, you know, some of the, some of the other ones I've seen uh, over the years. Um, now, how do you manage to balance both all that you do live at the racetrack and still publishing Horse Player? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to have a lot of talented people surround me on the magazine. You talked about some of the articles, and I've got a very talented editor by the name of Frank Scatoni. We've got some of the more prolific handicapping people that are well-known writing for us. We've got a great staff of photographers. We've got an unbelievably talented creative director who puts the magazine together. So my job is real easy. Just at the end of the production cycle, I just kind of look through it and make sure that everything's okay. But in terms of rolling up my sleeves and doing the work, uh, I leave that to people who are way more talented than me because keep in mind my business background is really more of a financial nature rather than of a public rather than a journalistic nature but uh, i give uh, the people that work for me plenty of creative freedom and allow them to spread their wings and i think their uh, talent show through in the uh, publication itself well every good team needs a lot of good players but they also need a good general manager and i'd have to say you're a fine one for the publication of horse player well, thank you, John. And, you know, I'm sure you're a sports fan like I am. But, you know, when I watch sports, whether it's football or basketball or whatever the sport might be, you know, the coach and the GM are really very important, almost almost as, port, as important as the players on the floor, uh, because they're the ones determining who gets to play and who gets to sit on the bench. And so, you know, there's a lot of business applications you can learn from sports, and that's really what I try and do. So when somebody as talented as Phil Jackson or somebody else, uh, you know, like uh, – Oh, I don't know. Uh, you know, it could be really any. You know, uh, who's the who's the New England coach? Help me out here. The Patriots' New England coach. Uh, you're catching me on the wrong night. <laughs> I know. Anyway, I, you know, whoever Bill Belichick. 
There you go. Bill Belichick. Yeah. I mean, another guy who's very successful in sports, but a brilliant tactician. And so from a managerial standpoint, that's, uh, you know, that's, I, I always kind of look at those people as role models in terms of how to run my business as well. As long as you don't look them as your role model for your fashion sense, I think you'll be fine. <laughs> I've seen better, I've seen better sweatshirts and, uh, and sweaters out at the racetrack than I do on, uh, than I do that, than, than I see him wearing. All right. Well, Tom, here's what I do. I, I want to knock out a couple of races, and hopefully I'll leave enough time at the end uh, to try to get you, you, your, your overview uh, on this year's Derby and, and if you have any input on the Oaks. You're out there. You've seen these horses run in the afternoon. You know their connections. So let's try to see if we can't put our, our listeners onto a couple winners. Hollywood Park, I believe today was opening day. Uh, Saturday, uh, they've got some great stakes races going out there. And uh, the, the state obviously has produced some nice horses as Cal Breads. And so we'll start with uh, the uh, the 18th running of the Malaire. The race is at a mile and a 16th, and, uh, and looking at the field, I noticed that uh, none of these fillies has ever gone the distance, uh, which uh, should add some interesting uh, uh, angles to the comp- competition here. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of looking at uh, doing hard time again as maybe the horse they got to get past in here. So either correct me or say you finally picked a winner, Englehart. <laughs> no, I know you picked uh, pick plenty of winners, John. And let's kind of roll up our sleeves and uh, become a couple of regular guys for a few minutes. Uh, Saturday out at Hollywood Park, and it is our opening weekend out at Hollywood Park, something called California Gold Rush Day. And we see this at a lot of, uh, a lot of jurisdictions around the country. Maryland Million comes to mind. Uh, also, uh, Cal Cup Day out at Santa Anita comes to mind. So this is the one time or may- maybe the second time all year long where these cowbreds can run for some significant money. You mentioned the Melair, which has raised for $250,000 of the purse. And doing hard time again will be the favorite. Just kind of reading between the lines and passing along some information your listeners and yourself might not even know. When she ran on March 30th, which was in the evening jewel, they had a corresponding race for the for the boys at the same distance. And the Philly division, which doing hard time again won, was faster than one was faster than the boys by 1.19 seconds. And if you equate one one length equals one fifth of a second, that means that you know in, in doing hard time against instance, she actually ran six t- six lengths faster or six ticks faster than the boys did. So. Just on the surface alone, and you can kind of see that reflected in her buyer speed figure number, she is going to be the horse to be. Like you said, the big question is, can she handle the distance? It's a little bit up in the air. You can see she ran a mile and a 16th in, the, in her second lifetime start, ran well but still got beat. And then the other time she routed at Santa Anita on January 26th, she kind of caught a sloppy surface out here, and, and that was probably her, her most disappointing performance. But Jerry Hollendorfer is red hot. He gets the leading rider out here in Southern California, Bay Hirano, who you're very familiar with in the, on the Kentucky circuit, John. So she's going to be the favorite. Just a couple of other fillies to take a quick look at. Sweet Marini was privately purchased by Bob Baffert after her debut win for $600,000. You can see when they ran her back in the Baffert barn first time off the lab, she was very, very disappointing. But Baffert now takes the blinkers off. And if you look at his statistics when he takes blinkers off, He's lights out 35% uh, winning percentage whenever he does this move. There's no question in my mind that they're going to put this filly on the lead because as you look through the form, yes. there's not a lot of there's not a lot of speed in this race. And as we know in Southern California, speed is very dangerous. So you know, one race doesn't make a career. I think Sweet Marini is going to be dangerous. And one more filly to take a look at, John, would be number four in usual way, just simply because last time out she finished a distant second to Midnight Lucky, who is probably 
along with the Todd Pletcher filly, going to be one of the two favorites in the Kentucky Oats. Midnight Lucky, that was just her second lifetime performance. She set a track record. It was her first time routing. She's going to be one of, you know, a filly that you're going to have to, uh, you know, you're going to hear a lot about throughout the year. So even though she got beat pretty considerably by Midnight Lucky, that I do think unusual way, kind of dropping back in class, is is going to be a threat. So I would make the race those three uh, those three fillies with, of course, the one you mentioned, John, doing hard time again, the filly to beat. Well, one of my favorite angles that's gotten me uh, a few winners over the years is a bullet work after an equipment change. And I've seen that since the blinkers have come off on Bob Baffert, that Sweet Marini came out and was the best of 46 going four furlongs. That always tips my hand that he took them off and he tried something and he liked what he saw. You know, they're pissed off. They spent all that money. They don't have any return on it. And, you know, another subtle angle out here, John, that you also see a little bit in Kentucky with Keeneland and Turf having synthetic surfaces is, you know, it's very hard for a horse or a filly to like all surfaces. In other words, we see it all the time. There's horses who prefer turf over dirt. There's horses who prefer wet tracks. So, you know, a lot of times you can find a good price on some of these runners at Hollywood Park because the players are playing off the dirt form that they see most recently that that was run over at Santa Anita. But if you dig a little bit deeper, maybe you can find some synthetic specials. I just bring that up because Sweet Marina, who you mentioned, has never been on the synthetic surface in terms of a race, but she certainly looks like she handled it on that morning workout on April 14th. Absolutely. Well, let's move forward with another one in your backyard, and it's going to be the Snow Chief, and this one going a mile and an eighth. And I find it interesting that the three, what I feel are strong horses in here, are coming out of the Eddie Echo. Is that a sprint prep for the Snow Chief? It was actually the, for lack of a better description, the brother race of what I just mentioned with doing hard time again for uh, when doing hard time again ran in the evening. Jewel, if you if you kind of look at uh, you know the two races side by side, you'll see that the Echo Eddie was race eight on March thirtieth, and and the evening Jewel at doing hard time again ran was race six. So it was same distance, same surface, same day, and yet the Phillies ran uh, a much faster race. So I would actually downgrade some of these horses that are running in the Snow Chief, which is race number nine at Hollywood Park on Saturday, I would downgrade them, uh, specifically Fighting Hussar and uh, Omega Star. Uh, Surf Cup as well came out of that race. You know, I just don't think there's a lot of talent in this race. Again, you mentioned the distance with the Miller in race four. You know, who's going to like the distance of a mile and an eighth? Most of these horses have never gone that distance. And the ones that have, they have questionable ability. You know, I guess you could make a little bit of a case for Nina's Dragon, the three-horse in the Snow Chief. You know, he ran very well over the Golden Gate synthetic surface, then basically got his head blown off in the Louisiana Derby. But maybe that's not such a disgrace. We know Revolutionary and My Loot are both going to go in the Kentucky Derby. Lloyd Mason does a really good job up north. He must have confidence in this horse to ship him down south. But without question, the favorite in the race and the high and the high weight is going to be the bottom horse. Tis a minister, 124-pound right. high weight. You can see they claim this horse for forty thousand. They've already made over three hundred thousand dollars with the horse. Last time out, he was just too far back, and you can see they took Talamo, or maybe Talamo decided not to ride. But he was one and done with this horse just simply because he was so far back. And then the question becomes, as you well know, John, pace makes the race. Will he have enough pace to run at? I'm not sure of that, but when you look through his running lines, you can see that he wants to run all day. That's probably something you can't say for a lot of these runners. So I'd make the race Tis a Minister and Nina's Dragon, 
as being the two most logical contenders. And then if you like something from a breeding standpoint or even from being able to handle a synthetic surface standpoint, maybe go a bit deeper in your uh, pick threes and pick fours as well. Well, uh, again, I've got a co-sign uh, to the minister. My, my notes, of course, on this horse, this is a cowbred race. And if you notice that its last two races were graded stakes races against Open Company. And uh, the last time against Calbreds, uh, it won the Cal Breeders uh, Championship at Santa Anita going a mile. Um, and with his running style, it looks like there's enough horses in here, unlike the other race, uh, that he's going to have some speed to run at. So, yeah, I think definitely uh, tis a minister is going to be the one you want to key on top. Well, I'm going to take you out of your backyard right now and move you about as far away as I can uh, to Belmont Park uh, for a race that features some really interesting handicap horses, two of them uh, that were shining stars that took an entire year off, Winslow Homer and Rattlesnake Bridge. Rattlesnake Bridge coming back with a huge race for Karen McLaughlin. Obviously, probably the, the horse who's been flat, uh, but is back home where he's undefeated at Belmont Park is flat out. Uh, what do you think of those three I named, and did I leave one out? You know, I looked at this race, and of course I'm not as familiar with the horses, but I will give you some observations that I have just from a pure handicapping standpoint. Let's focus on the probable favorite, number three, flat out. Simply because he's three for three over the Belmont surface, you look back to his Jockey Club Gold Cup win, he beat the eventual uh, Breeders' Cup Classic winner, Fort Larned. Stay Thirsty, also a talented horse. But my big knock on the horse, John, would be, is he a little bit long in the tooth now, now that he's seven years old? I mean, yeah. in other words, does he need his, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you know, I believe me, races, I've, I've lost money on him. <laughs> his other races since that Jockey Club Gold Cup win have been rather flat. Now, I'll give him a little bit of a pass for the Breeders' Cup Classic, because if you, if you think back to that day at Santa Anita, very much a speed-favoring type of day. No one was really passing. He actually ran an okay race to be third that day, although he was well-beaten. But what's happened the last two races? Didn't look like he really ran into any, any world-beaters. I know Gradar is a nice horse, but come on. I mean, he wasn't even in the same zip code as, as that horse his last two times. I think it's kind of now-or-never time, and I just think he's going to be a little bit over-bet. So, I mean, anytime there's an over-bet favorite, you know that I'm going to look elsewhere. And I do like like the two the two old class horses that you mentioned, Rattlesnake Bridge came back off a long layoff, kind of had had to put in a dogfight against much cheaper, but you know it, it looks like he still has comparable buyer speed figures to what he had prior to the layoff. So I think you got to respect him. And then Winslow Homer, he's only had one race since 2011. That was down at Tampa. But Chad Brown, I mean, I just like the confidence he's showing. He could basically put Winslow Homer anywhere, and yet off of a long series of works at Palmetto's, he decides to run in Belmont Park in the Great Three Westchester on Saturday. I like that confidence, just kind of reading between the lines. And, you know, you can never leave Pletcher out when you're talking about New York. Who knows how good number two cross-traffic is. So long story short, John, I know I've kind of mentioned almost every horse in the race. I would just try and beat flat out because I think flat out's going to be an underlay, going to be over bet simply because of that horse for course angle. And I'm just not convinced he has that much talent that he used to in the past. Well, uh, excellent observations. And we're going to move now to horses that are trying to punch their ticket in the Kentucky Derby. You know, I, I guess back in the 40s and 50s, people would use the Derby trial to actually springboard a horse into the Derby. They used to race them a, a week in between. You kind of look, you just don't see that much these days, but these are probably people that are just scrambling for a chance to, to get in the Kentucky Derby. Of course, uh, Paul Horning's connected with title time five. He, he'd love to, to get in there. Uh, Capo Bastone has been of a disappointment, I think. 
uh, for for Todd Pletcher, but gee, wouldn't he like to have seven horses in the Derby? And then um, <laughs> you've got uh, some very lightly raced horses like Zebros and and Rubel and Forty Tails. Any one of them could jump up and run big here. So I'm um, just interested in what you think a about the Derby trial and if any one of these horses could be a Derby horse. Yeah, a couple of things, John. You know, first of all, this race is going to go out very late, even by my standards here on the on the West Coast. By your standards. You know, you're going to need a couple hot toddies in order to stay awake. 10.42, because Churchill Downs has a, has a night program on Saturday night. 10.42 Eastern time is going to be post time for the Derby trial. Obviously a different uh, scenario than what they would experience on Kentucky Derby Day if they decided to run one week later. And the other thing, just like what we saw in the Westchester at Belmont Park, is this is a one-turn mile. And I think that's kind of significant because, you know, both Belmont and Churchill have those extended chutes that allow a one-mile dirt race just like they do down at Gulfstream Park. And I think that kind of helps some of the sprinters as opposed to the closers. The sprinters only have to go around one turn as opposed to two, which is customary at most tracks that card the mile distance. And that might play into the hands of Z Bros, who obviously have some Southern California connections. Mike Smith goes out to ride. Bob Baffert's the trainer. And you can see, really, he's done nothing wrong. I mean, you might make a case that maybe he's not bred to go this far, but, you know, going from seven furlongs to a mile around one turn doesn't seem that much of a stretch. And he's lightly raced. And I think at this time of year, you know, some of these horses have, sh- have shown what their upside or, the, or, their, or their total ability might be, whereas we don't really know that with Z Bros. So in a race that I don't have a good handle on, I would agree with you, John, that Cabo Best Stone has been a bit of a disappointment. He was running out here in Southern California, went to, you know, got sold or transferred over to the Todd Fletcher barn, but he doesn't really light my world on fire. And then you mentioned Title Town 5. I'm sure if D. Wayne and Paul Horning won this race, they would go into the Kentucky Derby seven days later. But I'm just not sure how, he, how good he is after getting dusted in the uh, previously mentioned Louisiana Derby. So just, just from a feel standpoint, just like you said, from a general basic handicapping philosophy standpoint, I'm going to zero in on number three, Zebros, thinking that he has more upside than what he's shown. All right, Tom, my producer's telling me I only have a minute left, so let me put your feet to the fire in about 30 seconds. Who are you liking in the Derby? You know, real quickly, John, I thought Golden Fence had distance limitations, but in the Santa Anita Derby, if you think back to the way Kevin Krieger rode him around the far turn, he hadn't even sat down in the saddle or asked Golden Fence for his best. Right now, it looks like the Derby's coming up a little light on early speed. I know it's a very difficult task for a horse to go wire to wire, but we don't have any of those crazy speed balls in there like we've done in years past or like we've had in years past. So I give, of course, I'm showing my loyalty here to the West Coast, but I give a pu- more than a punter's chance to the Doug O'Neill trained golden sense to win the Kentucky Derby. All right. Well, that's uh, Tom Quigley. Uh, you can get him on uh, Twitter at Quigley's, what's that, lower dash corner, right? How do you pronounce it? Quigley's underscore corner, C-O-R-N-E. Underscore, that's what it is. You can see how old I am. Uh, and also, again, I would just uh, tell you to go online, check out Horse Player Magazine, get a subscription. They stay on top of the racing game, and anybody that listens to Winning Ponies does too. So, Tom Quigley, thanks so much for being on the show. I've got your number now. I'm going to be a handicapper stalker. Great to speak with you, John, and don't be a stranger. I won't. Take care. That's Tom Quigley, ladies and gentlemen. Also want to thank uh, Rich Eng from the Las Vegas Review and Journal for joining us here. We always get the best of the best here on Winning Ponies. Don't forget to go up to the website, pull down some of those easy figs forms. They've been bringing in some long shot lately. So from high atop the grandstand, overlooking the Ohio River to the hills of Kentucky, I'm John Engelhart. Remember, when you go to the races, whatever friend you bring, 
practice safe bets. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.